In this episode, we'll be focusing on Project Debater, which is an AI system designed to process evidence and persuasive arguments in text so that it can ultimately understand and participate in human debate. To get to the heart of this effort, we're going to share two interviews we recorded with leaders at IBM. The first is with Noam Slonim, who is a distinguished engineer at IBM Research and founder of Project Debater. And the second chat will be with Madhu Kochar, who is Vice President, Offering Management for IBM Data and AI. So today's episode is going to be the third of four episodes in this series that Robert and I are releasing here on the Stuff to Blow Your Mind feed. If you'd like to hear more episodes, you can check out the ones labeled Smart Talks that we've released over the past few weeks. And you can also listen to the first four episodes of Smart Talks, which were released not on our show, but in the feed for the podcast Tech Stuff. You can find them on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Just look up Tech Stuff and click on the episodes labeled Smart Talks. And of course, stay tuned for the one remaining episode in this series, which is going to be published in our feed in a couple of weeks. And now straight on to our conversation with Noam Sloney. Noam, thanks so much for joining us today. Can you start by introducing yourself and talking about your role at IBM? Sure. Thank you for hosting me. So uh, I'm Noam Sloney. I'm a distinguished engineer at IBM Research. Uh, I did my PhD at the Hebrew University uh, quite a few years ago, uh, working on uh, machine learning stuff and artificial intelligence. Uh, then I did a postdoc at Princeton University, and I joined uh, IBM Research uh, in 2007. And uh, in 2011, uh, I suggested uh, the project that I guess we are going to talk about today. And of course, that project was Project Debater, right? Do you, do you want to mention a little bit about the, the origins of that? In IBM Research, we have this uh, interesting uh, tradition of uh, grand challenges in artificial intelligence. Uh, back in the 90s, IBM introduced uh, Deep Blue that was able to defeat uh, Gary Kasparov in chess. And uh, in 2011, IBM introduced Watson that was able to defeat the all-time winners of the TV trivia game uh, Jeopardy. And just a few days uh, after this event, an email was sent to all the thousands of researchers in uh, IBM across the globe, myself included, asking us uh, what should be the next uh, grand challenge for IBM research. And uh, I was intrigued by that. So I offered my office mate uh, at the time to brainstorm together. And this is what we did. We sat in the office in Tel Aviv and uh, we raised many different ideas that probably I should not share with you uh, today. But at some point uh, towards uh, the end of the hour, I suggested this notion of uh, developing a machine that uh, will be able to debate humans and that this is how we will demonstrate the technology for a full live debate between this envisioned system and an expert human debater. And uh, we submitted that. Uh, the only guidance that we got from the management was really to submit the proposals in, in a single slide so they will not be swamped with too many details. And we were able to carefully follow these guidelines and we submitted a single slide. This was February 2011. And this started a fairly long and uh, thorough review process that lasted for a year. And in February 2012, this proposal was selected as the next grand challenge for IBM research. And uh, we started to work a few months later with a small team that gradually expanded. 
And uh, we worked on that intensively uh, for, I would say, six and a half years, uh, dedicated solely to this mission of uh, developing a machine that will be able to debate humans. And um, eventually, we demonstrated this system in, in a full life debate. It was uh, a little bit more than a year ago. Uh, and it was a debate between this system now being called the uh, Project uh, Debater and one of the legendary debaters in the history of uh, university debate competitions, uh, Mr. Harish Natarajan. Uh, it was in San Francisco, and, uh, and it was a full live debate, uh, surprisingly reminiscent to the vision uh, that we had back in the office in Tel Aviv quite a few years earlier in that single site. So the topic of debate brings with it a few different connotations, um, you know, and, and therefore the idea of, of AI entering the fray might, might be a bit confusing for, for some. Uh, you know, we might imagine a computer designed to defeat Plato or, or perhaps a robot that can shout louder in a, in a televised U.S. presidential debate. Uh, to that end, can you walk us through what Project Debater is and perhaps what it isn't? Yes, absolutely. So, so. First of all, it is worth explaining what we mean indeed by a debate between an AI system uh, like Project Debater and, and a human uh, opponent. So the debate starts with, with a motion in the debate jargon that defines what we are going to debate. And uh, in the event in San Francisco, the topic was whether or not the government should subsidize uh, preschools. Uh, there are many considerations around how this topic is being selected, which we can skip, but the only thing we should really emphasize is that this topic is selected from a list of topics that were never included in the training of the system. So the system was never able to train on this particular topic. It was trying to debate a new topic from, from the, the perspective of the machine. And then uh, we are on the side of the government, so Project Debater is supporting the motion, and Harish is on the opposition. And we have uh, four minutes opening speeches for each side, and four minutes rebuttal speeches, and two minutes closing statements. So all in all, we are talking about uh, a little more than 20 to 25 minutes of a discussion that we hope we will be a meaningful discussion between uh, uh, project debater and, and, and a human, Harish, in this particular case. So to clarify, uh, for people who might not be familiar with competitive debating, so competitive debating does not involve what people might be more familiar with, which is like passionately arguing your actual point of view. It involves having a, a position selected for you that you then must get up and defend in front of the judges, correct? Yes, this is correct, and, and this is indeed important to emphasize because you do not know in advance uh, what is going to be your side. And, and even if you know in advance that you are going to be on the side of the government, uh, we should bear in mind the motion could have been phrased, we should not subsidize preschool, and then you should actually contest that. So you do not know in advance what is going to be your stance, the topic. This is true for Project Debater and also for the, for the human opponent. And you have only 10 to 15 minutes to prepare. You don't know the topic in advance. This is again true for Project Debater and for the human opponent. And uh, your goal is really to, to persuade the audience, and this actually touches on, on an interesting question, of how do you, do you measure who won the debate? 
because in chess and in other games, this is very clear. And, and really part of the problem with, with, uh, with debate in general and with developing artificial intelligence that is capable of debating in particular is that it is very hard to, to define who actually won the debate. Yeah, I know there are a couple of different metrics. Uh, so, of course, one would just be like, what is the percentage uh, of the audience that is convinced of either side? But that can be problematic because people come in with their own opinions already formed on an issue. So one uh, metric I've seen is how much the percentages change. They ask people before and afterward uh, what their positions are. And then afterward, they say, okay, uh, which side has won over more people, whatever the starting percentages were. Is it, And I assume you all had a metric like that. Precisely. So so this is exactly the point, because uh, if you simply ask people who is more convinced, you, you need somehow to take into account their the opinions to begin with. And and the, it is done exactly as as you described it. And and. All this event was in collaboration with, with uh, Intelligence uh, Squared, which is really, I think, the leading platform in, in the U.S. for organizing such a high-profile competitive debate. It was hosted, uh, the moderator was the moderator from Intelligence uh, Squared, John Donvan, and, and the voting was done exactly as you described and as being done with the show of Intelligence Squared. That is, the audience is voting before the debate starts, and they vote again after the debate ends, and you win if you were able to move more people to, to your side. Now, I, I think a lot of people might be wondering, how on earth would you even begin to organize a persuasive argument from an AI point of view? Could you walk us through the technical specifics of how Project Debater would put together an argument? Yes, yeah, so we were asking ourselves the same question actually when when we started this project, and uh, uh, I think this is part of the of the uh, nature of such a grand challenge that you do not really know how exactly you are going to to approach the problem. Uh, but we did what computer scientists often do, and this is to take this big and somewhat amorphic problem and break it into more modular and hopefully more tangible tasks. And uh, so in general, uh, the debater system had uh, two major sources of information. One of them is a massive collection of around 400 million newspaper articles. And uh, when the debate starts, the system was using uh, various uh, AI, artificial intelligence uh, engines, in order to try and pinpoint short pieces of text within this massive collection. We are talking about 10 billion sentences. So we were trying to automatically pinpoint these short pieces of text that should satisfy three criteria. They should be relevant to the topic. They should be argumentative in nature. They should argue something about the topic, and they should support our side of the debate. And this is quite a formidable challenge, but assuming that you are capable of finding these short pieces of text, the system is then using other AI capabilities in order to, tr to try and glue them together into a meaningful narrative. So this is one major source of information for the system. The second important source of information for the system was a unique uh, collection of more 
principled arguments that were actually written by, by humans, and we are talking about uh, thousands of more principled arguments, and uh, the role of the system was when the debate starts was really to navigate within this collection and find the most relevant principled arguments and use them in the right timing. So, so to make this more concrete, what we mean by a principled argument, imagine that we are debating whether or not to ban organ trade or whether or not to ban the sale of alcohol. In both cases, the opposition may argue that if you ban something, you are at the risk of the emergence of a black market. So a black market is a principled argument that can be used almost in the same way in many different contexts. Okay, so one may naively assume that uh, this is kind of a simple keyword matching thing. If we ban something, then the opposition is going to use the black market argument and we should be prepared for that. But obviously, th this is far from true. So imagine a debate about uh, banning uh, breastfeeding in public. Uh, obviously, there is uh, little risk for a black market in this context. Or imagine a debate about banning internet cookies. We're not going to see uh, a black market of internet cookies if we ban these. So uh, the system really needs to develop a more subtle understanding of the human language in order to be able to identify the most relevant principle argument and indeed use them during the debate. And, and this is, by the way, just what all this description is before listening to the opponent. Right? This is just what we are going to say on our side. And, and the, more, the most challenging part is really to, uh, to listen to the opponent and generate some kind of a rebuttal to the arguments generated by the opponent, raised by the opponent. And we do that using uh, uh, an arsenal of techniques that most of them rely on the same principle. We start by listening to the words articulated by the opponent, and for that we simply use Watson's speech recognition capabilities out of the box. But of course we need to go to beyond the world, and we need to understand the gist of the arguments of the opponent. And in order to do that, we try using various methods to anticipate in advance what kind of arguments the opposition might use, and then listen to determine whether indeed the opposition was making these arguments, and then respond accordingly. Yeah, that calls to mind the question of the difference between, say, what's a sound argument versus what's a persuasive argument. I mean, we know from reality that often the most persuasive appeals in debates rely on just straightforwardly false claims and logical fallacies or even on little emotional cues that have little to do with uh, the matter at hand. I was thinking about how in live debates, if you can get a laugh at your opponent's expense, that's worth you know a dozen sound arguments or, or, or claims. So to what degree can AI understand these sorts of persuasive appeals that, that go beyond just like what kind of evidence you can bring and the, the, the appeals based on style? You're right. In general, in, in, in debate and in rhetoric, we know already from the ancient Greeks that, that we have uh, three pillars. We have logos and we have ethos and we have uh, pathos. And humans are using a mixture of, of these pillars when they are debating one another. 
And just as a quick clarification, logos, pathos, and ethos are the types of appeals that were identified in the study of classical rhetoric, where logos is appeals based on logical arguments and evidence. Pathos is the appeal to the emotions or the passions. And ethos is an appeal based on the credibility or authority of the speaker. I mean, as, you know, broadly understood. Right. And, and, the, the technology that we developed, and, and by the way, it should be stated that uh, there is a, a rapidly emerging community of scientists across the globe that are investigating this kind of topic. It is all under the umbrella of this emerging field, uh, uh, referred to as uh, computational argumentation. And when we started in 2012, there were just a handful of teams uh, pursuing that, and, and we see a very dramatic increase in the research in these areas over the, the last few years, which is very exciting from perspective. And uh, uh, as I mentioned, the, the technology that we developed are most focused on logos. And uh, you can see in the debate between project debater and Harif, by the way, this, this debate is, is fully available on, on YouTube. And, and you can see that, indeed, a human is, is better in making, uh, in using pathos and perhaps in using ethos, and it is harder for the machine. And, indeed, most of the research being done by, by, the, by the relevant research communities around logos, but there are already attempts trying to model and to capture additional aspects of pathos and ethos in order to further enhance this kind of technology. So another question I have is, debater has to source claims and facts and arguments from existing written work produced by humans, which of course we know can be full of all sorts of flaws. Is there any way at this point for it to to, to have an analytical function, to tell a, say, factually true claim or a logically valid argument from just something that is wrong or dubious but repeated a lot in writing, or are we not there yet? This is a very uh, uh, timely, uh, important, and difficult problem, and that is receiving growing attention over, over uh, this year. And uh, there are attempts to, to tackle that, this is certainly not bulletproof. And, and the problem is, is quite complex because one may say, you know, okay, fine, maybe I should only take my argument from highly credible resources. And by proxy, I can assume that, that these arguments are, are valid. But, but this is not necessarily the case, right? You can see, you can read an opinion article in a highly respectable uh, newspaper, which is actually quoting a false argument that was made <laughs> elsewhere. And if you're not careful enough, you you might be, your system is going to quote this argument without understanding that something is happening there. So we, we try to develop, and we actually, part of Project Debater, included some kind of filtering mechanism in order to, to filter out these kind of cases. And the way we did that was really, once uh, a specific claim was detected, and by the way, it should be noted, a claim is not a full sentence. A claim is often only a part of a sentence. So even if you were able to detect a sentence that contains a claim, 
a relevant one that supports your side out of the billions of sentences in the corpus, you still need to find the correct boundaries of the claim within the sentence. And you have hundreds of options, and only one of them is correct. So this is just going back to why this, this problem is, is so challenging. But after you did that and you found this claim, you can ask, what is the stance of this claim? And if the stance is supporting your side, you can still ask, what is the stance of the full sentence? And if the stance of the full sentence is in the opposite direction, you may suspect that something is going on and perhaps this, this claim is quoted in order to contradict and not because it is true and then perhaps it is better, it is safer to avoid using it. But, uh, but this is just one safety mechanism and, and the problem that you raise is actually a much more general one. And, and uh, it, it, I think many teams are working on that and we try to address that as well. And I think it has many interesting dimensions because it is not even just about the validity of the argument. Often when, when you show people two arguments, they will agree that one of them is better than the other. But what are the underlying mechanisms that guide us to prefer one argument over the other? And how do you train an artificial intelligence system to make this distinction? This is kind of an, another example of the problems that you, we are considering. I have a question about what could come out of AI research like this? Uh, because I, I would say from my personal perspective, I think studying rhetoric and debate is extremely important, but not necessarily because getting into debates is is a good way to figure out what's true and establish you know the right thing to do. I think one of the most important reasons to study rhetoric and debate is so that you can understand how other people's arguments and persuasive appeals are, are operating on you or are designed to operate on you. A clear understanding of rhetoric can be a kind of suit of armor for going into you know the, the world and, and, and seeing how political actors and business actors and advertising and all that is trying trying to affect you. Do you see Project Debater serving any kind of educational purpose like this in the world today? So, so there, are, uh, there are several uh, levels by which I can, I can answer that. Uh, the first one is that uh, this kind of technology is, is definitely relevant and we believe highly valuable in the context of uh, education. You can imagine using the technology in order to build better arguments and moreover, to perform more uh, 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 analytical and perhaps more objective analysis of uh, complex uh, and controversial topics. This is one aspect. Uh, there is another aspect. Often when we debate with, with other humans, there are many layers that, uh, that are involved in this discussion, in this debate. Not all of them are, re are related to the facts and to the argument that we are raising. Perhaps we have history with that person. Perhaps we have history with ourselves that actually impact our own thoughts and, and decisions. Perhaps other people are listening and this uh, actually provides context that, uh, that impacts what is happening. And we are curious about this option of debating with a machine in the privacy of your office. 
maybe this is a different form of a discussion uh, that, that to some extent is perhaps uh, more free of, uh, of external biases and maybe will enable at least some people to identify situations where they have a blind spot and to better listen to, to the other side. So I think in, in this case, the role of the technology could be quite instrumental and, and positive. There are, of course, business applications that are also very interesting from the IBM perspective. Uh, and, uh, and this is another, another dimension, another uh, level by which we can uh, consider the technology as, as valuable. Again, big thanks to Noam Sloneem for taking time to chat with us. And now we're going to go straight into our second talk on the subject with Madhu Kochar. Madhu, thanks so much for joining us today. Could you start off by introducing yourself and talking about your role at IBM? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, really nice to meet you, Robert and Joe. Uh, Madhu Kochar, Vice President, Offering Management in Data and AI, IBM. And... The role of offering management is really all about laying down the strategy and then delivering and executing towards that strategy. And I'm based out of San Jose, sunny California. Excellent. Uh, So just to kick things off here, um, you know, we're going to be talking a lot about AI here, and uh, it it makes sense to, to, to really get into what we mean when we're talking about AI for business. How does AI serve business compared to the way it serves consumers? That's a great question to get started on. Um, So we developed a thesis a couple of years ago about really how AI for business would be different from consumer AI. Think of consumer AI, which we all know work with our smartphones, smart speakers, social media, photos, everything, what it comes. But when it comes for AI for business, it's really very, very different. AI for business is all about automation, optimization, and making better predictions. And it requires really a very different set of technical capabilities. Like you would have to understand how to deal with language, have to deal with what does automation means, and then be able to have the explainability and trust of AI. Um, So that's sort of the, the big difference between commercial AI and AI for business. So we know that one of the big AI projects at IBM is Watson. Could you tell us about Watson and explain how Watson fits into the broader picture of recent advancements in AI? Sure. You you might have heard of Watson and our audience might have heard of Watson, which came out when we first did our uh, uh, In Jeopardy. And people remember Watson from there. But fast forward, a lot of work done around Watson. Think of Watson as our definition of IBM AI. We evolved a lot um, since then, and our strategic intent always has been to have Watson available anywhere, meaning available on any cloud. Uh, We have focus on Watson uh, we call with Watson, meaning it's embedded in almost all your applications. So for example, um, I use the word a lot for AI for AI. What does that mean? Like how do we embed AI in our data sciences and in our data data platforms and such? The other parts of evolution has been, you know, as I said earlier, from our 
AI for business is all about automation. How do we uh, evolve into the workflow? AI that matters for our clients and our, our society. So some of the workflows could definition could be, you know, in customer care, uh, in IT, asset management, in your regulatory or compliance, in supply chain, or in your planning and budgeting, right? These are how you can really embed AI. And that is where Watson has really evolved into. And we have also been delivering now Watson and AI capability in a in our integrated single platform we call Cloud Pack for Data. So a long way we came from Jeopardy days. And then you just heard from Noam where we landed with Debater. So speaking of Debater, what capabilities has IBM commercialized from Project Debater into Watson? So that's a great question. A um, lot of commercialization has happened. We have a pretty good rich set of products like Watson Assistant, Watson Discovery, Watson Knowledge, Language Understanding. And I know these are just words, but let me just give a, a, a bit of a background on what Watson Assistant is. Watson Assistant is our conversational AI platform. Uh, really helps provide customer fast, straightforward answer, accurate answers um, across any application, device, or cloud, right? Um, and our discovery is all about enterprise search and AI search technology that truly retrieves specific answers to your questions while you're analyzing trends and relationships in the enterprise data. So we've been looking at debater and some of the key technologies, let me give you an example of few, um, like sentiment analysis. Uh, let me pose a problem statement. What does that really mean? So for example, today, Watson does not understand idioms or sentiment shifters, and neither does any other competitor offerings out there also. So think of sentiments which include hardly helpful, over the moon, cold feet, I'm all ears. You know, how do you make that analysis and figure figure this out? What is the real context behind this? So what we have done with that is that now Watson leverages this debater technology and looks at these idioms and sentiment shifters and does the analysis starting with better understanding of this sentiment analysis is one of the most widely used APIs for us. Um, this already exists today in our product portfolio. What's coming into the future is, um, is around all around documents. So let me put a perspective around a problem statement. There are many regulatory documents such as contracts or security filings, which contains important clauses that have really, really serious business implications. For example, payment terms, obligations made to regulatory bodies or warranties, such. Humans can spend countless hours reading and extracting the information so they remain compliant. Although we can provide some of the out-of-the-box models for contracts and invoices and such, but it creates, um, but client may still need to create their own element classifications of business clauses. So the solution has been with our debaters bird-based classification technology into these products so we can learn with few 100 samples to do new classification of elements. Business documents could include contracts, invoices, 
and procurement contracts. So end of the day, it really, really accelerates the, the outcomes, what the businesses would be looking for. Um, other technology is around summarization. So the problem statement here is like when you're looking for information, customer or employee who may have aggregate research from different sources, clicking through multiple links and pages and finding exactly what they need can be very, very difficult, right? Can take months, weeks and months, sometimes two years. So with Watson and debater technology, we can analyze a variety of these sources and provide a summary or brief of the ideas and the information which is contained within. Um, that's coming up. We're going to be leveraging this technology in our Watson discovery portfolio uh, in second half. The other interesting um, issues we see today is like in our traditional uh, rule-based systems for contact centers. It categorizes large fraction of calls in a very generic bucket. Like it says, you know, like not uncommon to see more than maybe 50% of call in a call center for a bank, which says, hey, this, this call was just made for generalized checking. And it prevents the company from creating any robust self-service. So with debater technology now, we can leverage advanced topic clustering which enables users to cluster this incoming data in a meaningful topics of related information and automatically this can be analyzed. So think of discovery of a content miner which will be enhanced with this type of a technology to extract better topics from very large data sets and then make the topic extraction more business user friendly. So a lot of stuff, I, I gave a lot of examples, but sort of the, the gist of all this is, look, it's going to impact businesses' real outcomes, right? It's gonna save them time, it's gonna automate the process, it's gonna remove a lot of human error which comes with it and really speak towards the productivity. It's gonna speak towards the client's um, NPS, their own promoter scores and such. And so that's really the gist of what we are looking to drive out of the debater technology. If I'm understanding this correctly, this is interesting. It's interesting that this kind of functionality would come out of an AI debate tool because debate and persuasion, those seem like the kinds of things that would be inherently the most difficult to master with AI because you've got all these elements of style and subtlety, things that are really difficult to quantify, to make into to understandable data. But out of the debater technology, it sounds like you're saying that you're actually getting a lot of derivative technologies that are good at dealing with algorithmic types of text like legal documents. Am I getting this right? Like that you could have a piece of software that works like a lawyer uh, and it can explain this contract to you when it's going over your head and that this kind of thing is possible now because of how formulaic and algorithmic legal documents tend to be. Would that be a correct understanding? Yeah, no, totally. And if I may um, give you one of the client example, uh, especially as you started talking about legal, um, legal nations platform actually provides this in-house legal teams and outside counsel, the ability to respond to their lawsuits um, and draft their initial round of discovery requests literally less than two minutes, right? Um, and which 
shaved off about 10 hours of attorney times on each of these lawsuits. So the real direct outcomes of usage of this technology. So you've been talking about big business applications, but I also wonder about applications directly for the consumer where, for example, could you have a program that ingests legal documents? Say you you feed it some contract you're thinking about signing, and then you say, I have a question because I'm not a lawyer. I don't understand what I would be bound to do under this agreement. And then you could feed the contract in and pose questions to your AI legal assistant in natural language. Can you see a future like that? Um we do, and we already have a product like uh, Watson Assistant, which is for customer care. It feeds on a lot of, you know, pre-trained models, like especially now in COVID-19, right? Uh, a situation where our government offices and our healthcare are getting inundated by calls, right? So mm-hmm. leveraging this um, Watson assistant in front is really helping them deflect a lot of those phone calls and get the accurate answers in hands of the consumers. So, you know, this is what we are focusing on around customer care. But yeah, in the future, I mean, this the similar technology and leveraging um, the from debater, we can actually go into any domain, right? The, we have the right framework and we have the right technology to go uh, pursue those different domains. I guess this sets us up for a bigger question, which is what is the overall role of natural language processing in the landscape of AI today? And also, which are the elements of natural language processing that we've really gotten a lot better at and which are the ones that are still a major challenge? Yeah, great question. As we all know, right, language have existed, I don't know, 100,000 plus years, (laughs) you know, started as speech, probably people started to talk and the writing came perhaps much later. Um, And we write in ways we don't talk also, right? It's a lot more uh, descriptive and more reflective. And so now with things where we can compute at larger with open data sets and transfer learnings, NLP, natural language processing, really, really is the inflection point, right? And some of the examples I shared earlier around the sentiment analysis and summarization and clustering, these are all such critical aspects of taking NLP, not just natural language processing, but natural language understanding, natural language generations is all gonna come through all of that. And we really think with the debater technology, it really puts us in a a leader quadrant here. A lot more work to be done, but the end, the end goal is, yes, we can continue to research on these things, but how quickly we commercialize it and how qu- quickly we help our clients and users to see the outcomes that are needed here and make them a lot more productive. So uh, how many languages does Project Debater uh, and Watson uh, together, how many do they understand and support? Today, we started with obviously English. We are expanding now to French, Spanish, German in in the second half of this year, and then very soon we'll expand to Dutch, French, Arabic, Chinese, both traditional and simplified, and Italian in 2021. Um, and obviously, we are choosing these based on where we are seeing most of our growth and uh, and adoption. What are some additional examples of how these commercialized capabilities can be used by clients? Great question. Um, I gave you an example earlier on um, 
legal motions. The other one, which is very close to my heart, is um, RBS. Uh, with Was Watson, RBS built Cora, which is a which is their digital assistant that helps better serve their customers through first-time problem resolutions. Cora is trained with over 1,000 responses to more than 200 customer queries. However, if she doesn't know an answer or she sends that customer is getting angry or frustrated, she will transfer it to a live agent. Now with improved sentiment analysis from Debater, as I mentioned earlier, we hope that clients like RBS will be able to better serve their customers by having digital assistants that better understand the subtleties of, of, the, of the sentiments of the clients. So for example, the phrase over the moon might be interpreted as literally above the planetary satellite and not as excited or elated, right? So this is what with Project Debater Core AI built into IBM Watson, it can understand these idioms, helping clients like RBS to better serve their customers. The other example, switching into financial like Credit Mutual, they had over 5,000 branches and they received more than 350,000 online inquiries a day. And the volume is growing at least 23% a year. So now with Watson Infused Email Analyzer, they can help deflect and address 50% of the 350,000 daily emails received by banks, client advisors. So the implementation of the topic clustering from Debater, we believe now clients with similar needs as Credit Mutual will enable more self-service by identifying clusters of commonly asked topics and can be converted into self-service content, right? So to me, the examples like this are just amazing because I can totally then connect the dots between technology, the usage, and the outcome, right? It's a win-win situation. We got multiple other examples as well, Robert, uh, and we're going to continue to be focusing on how do we really not just commercialize it, but I believe in AI is really meant to improve our society as well, right? Make us more productive and do better things, and especially the world we are living in with COVID and other things which are happening around us, right? Um, the goodness of AI needs to be there. So very critical. Overall, what do you see as the best possible role for AI, not just as a tool for business, but as a society? What could it do for us in the best case scenario? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, right? Um, to me, fundamentally, I mean, there are many examples, but one most critical which comes to my mind is how AI can really help us detect bias, right? A lot of our data sets, and it has been built by humans with unbiased, goes into those data, right? AI can really start separating that, help us detect bias and, and make our products better, makes our society better. So that to me is the, would be sort of the holy grail if AI can achieve that. All right. So there you have it. Thanks once again to Noam Sloneem and Madhu Kachar for taking time out of their busy days to chat with us about this topic. 
For more information on Smart Talks, visit ibm.com slash smart talks. And if you'd like to learn more about NLP, you can go to ibm.com slash Watson slash natural dash language dash processing. And if you would like to learn more about our show, well, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts and wherever that happens to be. Just make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.